Uh, this weekend is Faith in Blue. Okay, Faith in Blue. Uh, I think it's, a, is it across the country or is it, yeah, across the country. So uh, churches are appreciating our, our, uh, our law, our civilization, our uh, sense of right and wrong. And the, the police and the um, court system that reinforces what is right and wrong. And, you know, in the book of Amos, um, we have that text that we shared the other day. Remember, is it chapter 4? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry, chapter 7. The chapters 4 and 7 kind of go together, but it's chapter 7, verse 7. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line. So, uh, Pastor uh, Eugene, can you grab that? Right behind the wall there, there is that string with the weight on it. We have the... The Lord saying uh, to the Jewish people, um, I'm doing this to chastise you, to correct you. He can't find it. <laughs> okay. uh, and then, then it says the Lord relented. Let me get it. The Lord <laughs> relented. Okay, that was a tough, that was tough. So here we have the plumb line. Which can't lie. Do you remember? Yeah, like God is like this. Like he has to tell the truth. And, and, and there are things about life that are right and they are wrong. They're very simply. And we are living in a society where they want to define reality on their own. And we lose law and order. And that can't happen. Because law and order is, is a part of our world. The reality is. And the Bible is written to us uh, as a gift. So that we would be able to say, you shall not commit adultery. Yeah, but in the pagan world, it didn't matter who you slept with. Your cousin, your sister, your aunt, your father, anybody. But God is saying, no. That, that violates me. And this, you might not like it, but this is reality, and it's good to line up with reality. Now, the problem is our hearts we want to define reality according to what we want. So return re- to First Timothy 1. And, and of course, uh, we are like sheep. We're not criminals generally here. Uh, we invite all the criminals to come. We want all the criminals to come. The worst guy in Baltimore City, we want him here in the front row listening to what we have to say. So that Christ can change him. 
Christ can save him. Christ can give him a new birth, regenerate him, and give him a heart and ears to hear what God has to say about reality, about, about truth. All right, so read uh, with me First Timothy chapter 1. This is introducing our, our brother here, uh, just as a few minutes here. Chapter 1, verse 8. We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous man. Why isn't it made for a righteous man? Because, because in a righteous man, he is much very sensitive. He is, he is uh, awake. He is led by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 teaches us. We are led by the eye of God, not by a bridle that's put in the mouth of a horse, where you take the bar, the steel bar in the mouth of a horse and yank the horse around or lead the horse by his sensitive mouth. But in Psalm 32, it says, you don't need that. You don't need the law. Because it's already written in your heart. But you are led by the eye of God, by his eye. You know, the eye communicates much more sensitive than the letter of the law. You shall not commit adultery is the law. But when you look at God, you know that he has no pleasure in wickedness and evil and arrogance and pride. So we are sheep that are led by a shepherd, and we hear his voice. But outside of the congregation, so to speak, or in the world, in our society, these men are used by God to uphold the law, and it's not so much made for us, because we are led with a sensitive heart to do the truth. And we respect the law that is needed for the criminals. Let's read about it. Verse 9. The law is not made for righteous men, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Do you think these men need our prayers if they are dealing with these kind of people? Do you think our society needs them? Do you think our society needs law and order? And the, the men trained to be a professional people that are dealing with very difficult, precarious situations. So we have here what Paul is saying that the law is for, verse 10, whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. Men stealers, that's kidnapping for liars, for perjured persons, and if there are any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, here, here's the closing. Um, Pastor Barnes is the chaplain for the Maryland State Police, and we have two men here from, who are, who are uh, state troopers. Uh, Ryan and Rock, thank you for coming. Yeah. 
And as a church and churches throughout the country, we should say, you know, no society is perfect. But we cannot get rid of or have any attitude other than thankfulness and respect for the fact that God gave the law and God cannot lie. And this is like the story, right? This one. And and we don't mind lining up with that. And, and yeah, actually go beyond and be like God, who is gracious, kind, patient. We Our focus is beyond, like we love the law, but we also love the one that gave it. And we want to know his heart. We want to know how what his love means. And when he hangs on the cross, and our, our society crucified him, we saw what really uh, we are, and we see what really he is. He is so kind, so gracious, so patient. And three days later, raised from the dead to give to us a new life, a new heart. So we're doing our job evangelizing and making disciples And these men are protecting our society so we have safety and the freedom to meet and assemble and do our work. And we just want to just say salute them and say thank you very much. All right, the message this morning is uh, really short and simple and profound. We shared it at the pastor's retreat, and it really resonated with us and kind of stuck with us because the Holy Spirit has something to say to us about this story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. So I'm going to break it down real simple and um, and make an application, and you will make your own, I think, as you think about this story. Uh, By way of a picture, I can just draw a picture of David like this. This is David. Doesn't it look like him? Now, David is, is uh, not yet officially king. He has a group of 400 men with him. Uh, and they protected a man who had a big estate. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. And David just wanted that guy's property and his uh, possessions and his herdsmen to be safe and protected. So that's what they, that's what he did. And when it came time for the festival, uh, David sent a messenger to the owner and just said, you know, you're doing real well. We, 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 our men protected you. If you have anything you want to give to us, we'll take it. Well, it didn't work out so well. The guy mocked David and said, who is David? Many men have broken away from their own masters these days. Chapter 25, verse 10. Now, this man, Nabal, his name, we have his name, the meaning of his name. We also have a description of him with two words. Nabal is um, uh, churlish. In King James English, we have it in chapter 25 and verse um, 
3. Abigail, his wife, was of good understanding and a beautiful countenance, but the man was churlish, and he was also evil in his doings. Churlish means cruel, grievous, hard-hearted, heavy, impudent, obstinate, prevailed, roughly, sore, sorrowful, stiff-necked, stubborn, in trouble. Like a big, you know, a lot of words there, but you get the idea. If we ask these state troopers, they know anybody like that? Uh, What do you think? Are there any bad guys out there? Okay, he was churlish and evil. Evil, disagreeable, malignant, unpleasant, evil, displeasing. We have as a def- as definition here. So David decides, we're going to go at this guy. David reacted. All right, I'll put here these two words, evil and churlish. And David reacted. He said, this guy's history. We're a powerful group of mighty men. We can go get what is ours or however he, it doesn't describe how David came to that place. But it looks like it was unwise. It was a reaction and it was because David had this in mind and it didn't happen because the guy's a bad guy. And so uh, David says, put on your Put on your swords. We're going to go at him, and we're going to take take what what. Let's see. Verse thirteen. David said unto his men, "Gird ye on every man his sword." They girded on every man his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about four hundred men and two hundred abode by the stuff. All right, have you ever been in in your life in a place where you were provoked to anger? You're provoked to make an unwise decision. You're provoked to to, uh, do something about it. It's not right or it's not fair, of course. So we have David going, we could say, going in a direction like this. And this man, Nabal, had a, a wife, Abigail. And somebody went and told Abigail, um, I'll put, she's got to have hair <laughs> and, and a dress and arms. And said to her, uh, it's not good. David is coming. Abigail is quick. Chapter uh 25, verse 14, but one of the young men told Abigail. And then in verse 18, Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves. She's intercepting. She's intercepting what is going to be bad. She comes into the picture. She intercepts David. like She comes to him and basically intercedes or 
interrupts or heads him off at the pass, kind of comes as a counselor, comes with a different mind. Don't do this because, David, you are actually greater than this thing. This thing is not, this thing will take you in a direction, but you are, you are anointed king. You are, you have a future. You fight the Lord's battles, not this. This is not the Lord's battle. You fight other, you, you, there's something in your life you have a calling. And don't bring yourself down to this thing. Guys, you have a high calling. You have something else that you are doing that is from God. You got something else going on. So in the message, there was one of our brothers, one of the pastors, was weeping. And after he talked to me, he goes, that hit me really hard. Because I just got in an argument with one of our uh, Sunday school teachers. And I couldn't handle that because I'm so angry. And I got so upset with her. And um, we talked a little bit about it. But let's use that as um, an example for all of us. That there are things that you... You can get into because, let me put down here, David had an idea of right and wrong. And that's important. But it can't always work in a marriage. What's right and wrong? People fight about what is right and wrong. There has to be other words what are the other words that would work in a marriage? And, and we must learn them. They're a new vocabulary. What are the words that work in a marriage that are different from right and wrong? Yeah, you're, that's good. We've got... I'm sure you're trying to figure out my drawings. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I can't figure them out myself. Okay, here it goes. Okay. Abigail intercepts David, and David moves now in another direction. He he goes, you're right to Abigail. You can read the chapter and study it and kind of follow this. I'm breaking it down real simple. David is saying, you're right, Abigail. And he packs up, he turns around and goes back home. You are right. Can you hear, hear, this is another, the humility of receiving the advice of another person. Let the ladies say amen. amen. Let the women say thank you, pastor, for hitting that point. Thank you, pastor. The women are, Abigail is right on. Abigail is correct. Abigail is right on. And I need to receive that, that uh, guidance. It is guidance. The Lord sent her. That was guidance from this woman. There are two other cases I think of where the Lord is saying, obey the woman. Sarah said, get rid of Hagar, the bondsmaid, and God to Abraham. Sarah said to Abraham, 
And God said to Abraham, obey Sarah. Do what she says. She's correct. The other one was when Mary broke the box of ointment on Jesus and the disciples were upset about it. And he said, he said, leave her alone. What she has done has been for my burial. The woman get it, got it right. Let all the women in the church say amen. Let all the women said, finally, somebody's saying something about it. The woman got it right. She does many times. The women are precious and they have a heart for God and desire for God and so many things good, good we can say about it. All right, now, what happened? Yeah, David changed. He went in another direction and he, he, he does become king in time. What happened to Nabal? He died. Ten days later, he died. Looks like it was a stroke, like he went to sleep. He became like a stone, and ten years, ten days later, he was gone. And uh, and I just want to bring it up to say that as a pastor, we have to pray that the Lord will help us hit the right point. What battles should we fight? Where should we go? What should we teach? What's important? Let's go back to that point about the words, and we'll finish. Where where are we? Uh, let's say uh, let's say that this is right and wrong. Yep, thank you. Right and wrong is how people live many times, and David has to go in another way. Patience. You have to be patient. Abigail, what's going to happen to that guy? He's a bad guy. And she said, she she just said, you fight the Lord's battles, and this is too low for you. These are my words. Don't worry about it. God's going to take care of it. Be patient. Another thing in marriage is long-suffering. Same word, but why not repeat it? Same meaning. Like, it might be not be easy, but don't argue and fight with your wife. That battle, that's a battle. Like, well, give her room. Love her. Another word is love, and another big word is forgiveness. Know the story about my wife and I? I was told it a few times about the chocolate box of chocolates. <laughs> A box of chocolates, but don't do not fear. I have another box in my office. Okay, so if why do I bring it up? Because um, like that, just something happened between us, and it wasn't any really big deal. But I could sense, you know, like right and wrong, right and wrong. Like my favorite box of chocolates was thrown out. Okay, like that's totally wrong. That's totally, not even close. Okay. But actually, what, what my wife needs is not me, like, like bringing, uh, you know, talking in those terms, even though now she's hearing it in every message. But, but, but it's, like, it's like there are things in life you forfeit and you forsake 
even though you could be correct, but it doesn't build the relationship. Like the relationship has to be bigger than right and wrong. The relationship is important. And same in the body of Christ as brothers and sisters. We are not sitting here with the idea of looking at our neighbor across the way and how wrong he is or how right she is or how uh, any that there are, there are other words that we are learning that come from God into our hearts. And they are words like love and forgiveness and patience. Another one is kindness. And, you know, I want to finish here, but say that um, the world doesn't forgive. They do not forgive. They think it's ridiculous. They think it's weak. If you forgive, you are weak. They even teach now forgiveness leads to abuse. That if somebody is forgiving, then they're opening themselves up to more abuse. Okay? It's, uh, what else do they say? I knew you were like that. You're asking for forgiveness. You stole the money. I knew you did, and I know that's who you are, and that's who you are. And you say, please forgive me. And they go, are you kidding me? That's who you are. You're just, you're just like that. That's all that you are. So they cancel. They mark you. They mark you. They cancel you. They define you by your wrongness. And they are self-righteous. And that's the way it goes. That's the world they live in. But this isn't ours. You have to learn it. You have to think about it. You have to be persuaded in it. Forgiveness is an incredible thing. It changes people's lives. Primarily, you have been forgiven. How come you have been forgiven? You've been forgiven. How could that be? Have all your sin by Christ, by God. It's a big deal. Forgiveness is a big deal. And when you are forgiven, then you just say, uh, you, really, God, you don't remember it? You don't bring it up? It's over. It's gone. It's buried in the deepest sea. It's over. It's gone. Really? Am I forgiven? God says, you are forgiven. And then you just say, I am in this world, and I must forgive as I have been forgiven. And the world will say, that's ridiculous. We don't do that. That's ne- we would never do that. We would mark that person. They would cancel them out. And it's over for them. Their life is over as far as we're concerned. And we would say, uh, yeah, I know that's the way you live. But that's not the way we live. We have other words in our life. They are life-changing. They are grace. No payment. It's a gift. It's forgiveness. It's, it's new. It's amazing. We are forgiven and given this new life. Now, when David turned around and went away, he still, I'm sure it stuck in him. But he said, you know, I think that woman is correct. I'll go my way, not get involved 
God will take care of it. And, of course, uh, we have to be careful as we navigate in our lives in this world. And we need to learn new words and hear them from different people at different times. Amen. Okay. Mm. So, uh, Lord Jesus, we ask you, Lord, to lead us and guide us in this new way of life. There is right and wrong. There's no question about it. But how do we build a relationship? How do we find somebody who is really wrong? And how do we handle it? In David's case, he went away. He didn't get in that fight. He just went away. And sometimes we should do that. Another part of the story, we hear Abigail. We get the advice and the wisdom from Abigail. And we learn something new. We need a pastor in our life. We need a church. We need an open Bible. We need advice. We need to help our children. They might, they might get sidetracked, hijacked in life by making bad decisions. And they need a grandfather or grandmother or a father or a friend or a brother who is like Abigail to say, now, wait a minute, back off. You got a higher calling. There's something more you you should put your eyes on. God is with you. God cares about you. Yes, Lord, thank you. Use these words. And then anyone listening who is not a born-again believer, come to Jesus as you are. Come by faith. Confess to him that you need him. Submit yourself to him in your heart. Ask him into your life, and he'll give you this gift of eternal life. His arms are stretched out wide for you. He cares about you, loves you, and saves you by his grace. In Christ's name, amen.